0: Squarespace is proud to support students and parents as they listen to Getting In. Learn how creating a personal website can help you stand out with colleges. Go to squarespace.com slash gettingin. Getting In is also sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products. Just for being a Getting In listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice— by going to wwwaudiblecom college. From Slate and Panoply, this is Getting In, a podcast series about the path to college. I'm your host, Julie Lifcott hames And this is our final episode. Today, we'll hear one last update from some of our Getting In seniors, and we'll answer another round of listener questions. I'm delighted that joining me today is one of Getting In's experts, Josh Steckel. Josh is the college counselor at the Brooklyn School for Collaborative Studies and the author of the extraordinary book, Hold Fast to Dreams, which follows several of his students on the path to and through college. Welcome back, Josh.
1: It's great to be back, Julie.
0: So, we have a few final voice memos from some of our getting in seniors.
2: Alrighty, well, this is Elsworth signing in for the last time.
3: Hello, this is Alessandra Pera. Hi, everyone. It's Jordana.
2: We asked them about their graduations. It was qu- pretty cool to uh, walk up onto the stage and actually get my diploma. That that was kind of like
4: wow.
5: I recently graduated on June fifth, and it was. A beautiful ceremony and I was so happy to be able to share this experience with my
3: friends and my family. So I'm a high school graduate. I graduated almost two weeks ago downtown in DC at uh, DAR Constitution Hall and it was just it was a very cheesy traditional graduation ceremony but um, it was it was really nice.
2: There was like a moment I looked out into the audience and realized like All these people were coming here to see me graduate high school. That's such a monumental thing. Uh, So it was kind of a milestone marker. And after all the guys in my grade, we all smoked cigars inside, kind of like a celebratory thing. So all around, great graduation.
5: However, it was very bittersweet. I found myself getting emotional when we were um, walking down to the pomp and circumstance. (laughs) It felt very real then for some reason. And seeing everyone in a white cap and gown and then... Um, Again, when they announced congratulations to the class of 2016, I found myself getting emotional there, too. Because at at those moments of the ceremony, I guess it just felt the most real. Like, it felt like it was really happening because there was so much talk of graduation leading up to that point. But then you feel like a real graduate after some of
3: those things. So... I was one of the first people to graduate, even though my last name starts with an M, because I was one of the singers in the ceremony. I was actually the only soloist um, in the ceremony, and uh, the chamber singers, uh, we sang For Good from Wicked, which is a you know cheesy, sentimental graduation song about getting to know each other and how we've all changed each other. And I had the solo, which is something that uh, all the seniors fight over every year, um, is the senior solo at graduation. And I got it after four years of work. I
5: won the most outstanding in vocal and dramatic performance award. And it was very humbling um, because there were a lot of, a, a couple people that were very talented that were also up for that award. So I, I was I was very happy. It was really nice that a lot of the people in the arts and a lot of people in sports, everybody was recognized and it was it was just a really, it was a really nice day.
0: I love listening to these kids. And I know our listeners have loved listening to these kids over these many, many months. You know, I'm, I'm almost smelling that cigar that Ellis <laughs> and his friends smoked. Huh. And I'm listening to Jordana use the word cheesy to describe these rituals. But I know Jordana well enough to know that these rituals are incredibly meaningful to her and to Alessandra as well and to all of our seniors. This time of year is very special. This time of life is very significant. Boy, what a joy it has been to be alongside these kids for this school year. Well, in addition to asking them about their cheesy graduation rituals, we also asked them about how they felt participating in this podcast.
2: It's really helped me articulate some things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, it's helped me become a better public speaker, I think. it's. It's helped me think about how I'm telling a story. Well, there's a beginning, middle, and conclusion. Wrap it up so that it all makes sense and it's all coherent. And it's not just these scattered points. So that's something the podcast has done for personally for me. And I hope for juniors and uh, any other people listening, it's helped them uh, with their college process because I... I had a great time, and I hope they enjoy it, too. It can be pretty stressful, but it's all about what you make of it at the end of the day.
5: It was something that I wasn't expecting, and it kind of came up last summer, and it was an opportunity that was extremely different and extremely interesting for me, and I couldn't be more grateful for this experience. I was able to um, share my story, and I was able to hopefully um, put myself out there in a way that other people who are like me can relate and I you know we can help other people through this podcast that was
3: it's one of my favorite things about this experience. I think it's helped me to kind of come to terms with things as I'm going through them to have to talk through them um, and explain them to people I don't know. A lot of you know my fears and my realizations as I go through the process um, are kind of you know easier to cope with if, I'm, if I know I have to share them out loud. Thank you to the entire
5: Slate team and to the entire Getting In Podcast team for giving me this experience, for um, giving everybody else more insight on the college process.
2: I'm um, all right. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much to everyone and uh, good luck to everyone else.
3: So it's been helpful for me and I hope it's been helpful for everyone else as well um, to hear my experience. Um, And I can't wait for next year at NYU. So thanks for everything.
0: All right. So that was Ellis Wells, Jordana Meyer, and Alessandra LaPera. We want to congratulate these three as well as our other two getting in, seniors, Jonathan Diaz and August Graves. We couldn't be more excited for you. I'm so excited. I hope we'll figure out a way to touch base with you in your freshman year of college. As a former freshman dean, I'm just giddy with delight at the year that awaits you. Freshman year of college is tremendous fun. It's full of so much new stuff, such an opportunity to start to figure yourself out and make friends and start to think about your future. I'm so excited for you guys. On behalf of all of us here on the podcast, congratulations, and uh, here's to you and your glorious future. Josh, what's your reaction to hearing from these seniors for the last time?
1: I always love hearing about graduations. Yeah, um, Every year at this time, I am working on closing out my relationship with a group of kids and graduations are just these incredible moments. And it's been a real privilege following um, these young people through the process this year. And I think my My big takeaway to what I heard is just that I feel really happy that they felt that their participation in this podcast was something that was really helpful for them and that it was also something that gave them a way to help a listening audience. I think that's incredibly powerful. I think it took real courage for all of them to participate. And I'm just, I'm really happy to have been um, along for the ride.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Full of gratitude for them and you know, I remember the start of so many of our of the emails we received and the voice memos was, you know, the sense of gratitude from listeners uh, that this podcast was taking place. And as you've said, that these kids had the courage to share this very personal experience uh, with so many strangers through this podcast. Yeah, big thumbs up to them for taking that risk and so glad to know that it benefited them as well. And while we didn't get a chance to hear from Jonathan Diaz, Josh, he's yours. He's a student you've been advising. What's the biggest change you saw in Jonathan over this school year?
1: Boy, Jonathan is a really wonderful person. And I think that one thing that's really interesting about him is that he presents in a way where he's so even keeled and he just sort of appears to take things as they come. And it's just sort of a very um, he's a calming presence to be around and, and is really kind of wonderful mm-hmm. to be around. And I think that what's really interesting about Jonathan is that he's he's got a lot going on um, and that there's many ways in which this process has been uh, really challenging for him. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we've spoken about what it's like to be uh, the first person in your family to go to college. Uh, he's yeah. doing a lot to sort of interpret his experience for his for his mom, who's not a native English speaker. And, mm-hmm. and you know, his family, you know, they, they get through day to day without a whole lot. And so... I think the thing that I think most about is is his personal essay and and the story that he told at the top of the show about his experience on that mountain um, over one of the Great Lakes where in order to, to take this really big risk, he had to just kind of sort of close his eyes and take one step at a time. And that doing that enough, he ended up in a place that he wasn't – he didn't really believe that he could make it to. And I, I feel like that's how this process has gone For Jonathan this year. And he's sort of, I feel deeply grateful to him. He's had faith in me. And he's kind of taken that one step at a time throughout this year. And, you know, and just last week, he was, he was walking all over the campus at at Muhlenberg College and, and, you know, choosing his classes as a freshman. So, so that's the big yeah. change for me, and it's it's incredibly inspiring.
0: Yeah, I remember him telling us that story when we all met uh, way back in the fall. Listeners know I think I'm in California, you know, almost everybody else is back east, but we all managed to be in a room together at the start of the at, of the podcast, and Jonathan told that story. And as you just retold it in an abridged version now, I got chills again uh, thinking about Jonathan on that trip, which was so far outside of his comfort zone for so many reasons, and yet it became the theme for him through this process of applying to college. It ultimately paved the way, I think, for him to feel he could apply to and accept an offer at Muhlenberg. And um, wow, what a fantastic fit for him and what a fantastic opportunity. So listen, Josh, so with Jonathan in mind but really all of your seniors in mind what's what's one key piece of advice you're giving your students now that they're leaving you and headed out to college wherever that may be
1: mm, yeah that's a really good question we, we do we do a lot with our kids to help them with this transition we yeah my school is located next to the neighborhood of Red Hook and there's an, there's a big IKEA there and our senior economics class takes a they take a field trip there and they have like a pretend budget and they have to furnish a dorm room. Um, nice. We do we do a lot of mock advising where students are actually choosing their courses for their first semester and making up their schedule and thinking really hard about time management. So there's lots that we're doing to try to help ensure that our kids have a smooth transition to that first year of college. But I will say that absolutely more than any other thing, we We want our students to think really hard and work really hard to build meaningful relationships, meaningful relationships with their peers, with students who are like them and not like them, with professors. I think that really when it comes to determining the quality of a student's college experience and their likelihood of success, those relationships are probably the most important thing.
0: Beautiful. You know, um, I became a freshman dean because... It wasn't that long ago that I was a freshman in college. Well, let's face it. It was a long time ago. But I needed a lot of help myself, and I became a freshman dean because I wanted to be one of those people who could help the next generation of kids. When I got to Stanford University in the fall of 1985, I think maybe I thought getting in was kind of the hardest part, but no, Mm. it turned out that... I was going to struggle in my freshman year. I came away from my first quarter, Stanford's on the quarter system, I came away with a 2.0. I had a B, a C, and a D. And I hadn't seen that many Bs before, and I certainly hadn't seen Cs and Ds. And there I was feeling, my goodness, I don't have what it takes to make it here. And I was ashamed, and I was humiliated, and I was terrified, And it took me, that was, you know, before the internet, before cell phones. I know it sounds like I'm describing the 19th century, but it was actually 1985. It took me a while to work up the guts to tell my parents, Mm -hmm. um, who lovingly responded by phone 2,000 miles away in the Midwest. And they told me they believed in me and they loved me and that they were sure that there were people on my campus who could provide uh, me some some support, some advice and guidance. Ironically, those people would be in the advising office that I would come to run a couple of decades later. My point is I did that work because there were resources on my campus when I needed them, and I wanted to turn around and give back and be one of those resources and supports to the next generation of kids. Josh, I hear that there are some big changes coming for you this fall. Can you tell us about that?
1: I'll be I'll be leaving Brooklyn Collaborative at the end of the school year, which is mm. really bitter bittersweet for me. Bittersweet uh, for sure. I have um, I've worked with each of the uh, first eight graduating classes at the school and seen them through the process. And I've been working as a college counselor for sixteen years. And so I'm at this moment I'm actually feeling a little sad and wow. about about uh, leaving this community behind. It's really a, an amazing group of of staff and students, and I am. Also feeling in- incredibly excited and a little bit nervous about the next step for me, I'm going to be uh, joining a new initiative that is occurring in the city starting this next year called the College Access for All initiative, which is part of our city's equity and excellence policy agenda. And I will be working with all of the high schools in New York City to help build high-quality college counseling and post-secondary planning programs. So it's an incredible opportunity, and it's incredibly exciting and and, and an opportunity to bring a lot of the really outstanding work we've done at Brooklyn Collaborative to a much, much larger scale.
0: Josh, what a testament to you, to who you are, to who you have been in the life of kids and into the working of the school at Brooklyn School for Collaborative Studies. Now you get to scale it up and you get to care about all of New York City's kids. What a fantastic opportunity and how lucky we have been here on Getting In to have the benefit of your wisdom and expertise over this past year. Wow, man. I'm just... (laughs) Thank you, Julie. I'm so excited for you and for all the kids and families you're going to help. Wow
1: yeah no it's it's an incredible opportunity and I think it's it's really something incredibly unique that's that's happening here in New York City and I am just so excited that Mayor de Blasio has invested so much in the work of ensuring that that all of our graduates have you know a sense uh, of real belief and possibility in in what the future can bring after they graduate high school.
0: Absolutely. You know, I think one of the things we couldn't help but highlight in this podcast is the extent to which there's a real disparity in access and equity when it comes to college counseling, when it comes to information available with regard to applying to college. And, you know, we've tried to play a small role in leveling that playing field a bit. It's been really rewarding to hear listener comments to that effect. And, um I'm just so excited for the for the school children of New York City that this College Access for All initiative is underway, and that you're co-leading it. I think marvelous things await, and um, and wouldn't it be lovely if what New York is doing serves as a model for other regions? I'm so excited for you. I know it's bittersweet. What you do next is going to be incredibly rewarding. So here's to you, Josh. Here's to you and that exciting future.
1: Thank you so much, Julie. It really means a lot to hear that from you.
0: Yeah. Well, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd love it if you could answer our final round of listener questions, okay? Sounds good. All right, that's in a minute, but first, a word from our sponsors. Getting In is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace sites look professionally designed regardless of skill level, and there's no coding required. With intuitive and easy-to-use tools, Squarespace will even give you a free domain if you sign up for a year. And when you sign up for Squarespace, use the offer code GETTINGIN to get 10% off your first purchase. Create a website that reflects your best skills and talents. Because when you start on the right foot, you can go anywhere. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com slash gettingin. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Getting In is also sponsored by Audible.com. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks. You can download them and access them on a bunch of different devices on iPhones, Android, Kindle, or pretty much any other MP3 player. One title you might want to try out is well, my book, How to Raise an Adult Break Free of the Overparenting Trap and Prepare Your Kid for Success. With our overprotection, overdirection, and excessive hand holding, We've forgotten that our long-term job as parents is to put ourselves out of a job and raise our kids to independence in adulthood. If you want to listen to How to Raise an Adult or many other books, Audible has it. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com college. That's audible.com college. We are back with Josh Steckel. And it's time for listener questions. Here's a voicemail we got from Alan, a high school student in Texas.
2: Hi, I'm Alan Jordan from Houston, Texas. I'm currently a freshman, and I was recently elected to serve as one of five people from my grade to serve as a class officer for my sophomore class. I was wondering if colleges care about seeing kids be involved in leadership positions, such as the one I'm in, and if it's beneficial to me in more ways than just getting to do a job I love for my class. I'm also hoping to obtain a leadership position in my theater next year. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks, Alan. Josh, what do you think? How are these types of leadership positions viewed by admissions officers?
1: Certainly, leadership is something that colleges look for when they read students' applications. I, I think that the the more important answer to the to to Alan's question, um, well, first is congratulations, Alan. That's that's wonderful news that you've been elected to that position. Right. But the more important piece here is that. Um, He's found something he loves to do. Absolutely. And I think that there, there's lots of ways for us to be leaders, but it can be hard to find things that you feel really passionate about and that you feel like um, when you're doing, you're really fully engaged and are, are feeling like you're growing and are fully yourself. It's great that that will count (laughs) as far as uh, Alan's concerned in terms of admissions. But uh, I think the more important thing is for him to really focus in in the way that it sounds like he has been on, on finding things he feels Like he loves and that he's fully engaged in.
0: And because he loves it, he'll be good at it. Totally. That's the kind of thing he can really then authentically write about and list on his college applications when the time comes. Keep at it, Alan, and congratulations. I add my congratulations to what Josh has already said. We're excited for you. All right. Next, we've got this email comment about transferring while you're in college. I would love to hear you speak more about the fact that quite a few students do not graduate from their original choice
5: school and transfer to another school. So many times the stress comes from students thinking this is a permanent decision when they can change transfer credits
0: and enter a better fit school for them. Josh, what's your take on transferring? Transferring is a is a really
1: important topic, and there's there's lots of reasons why students transfer. It certainly uh, could be students who sort of midway through their, their college career, shift gears and find that there's a different institution that will better serve their needs. It might be that a student finds that that they're not at the right place for for personal or academic or social reasons. Uh, or it might be that a student begins at a community college with the explicit goal of transferring uh, after receiving an associate's degree. In the world of higher ed, effectively serving transfer students well is an incredibly important Issue. Transfer students face a lot of different kinds of obstacles. It can be really challenging to move from one system to another. There can be really significant emotional obstacles and logistical obstacles. Certainly the thing that comes up the most um, is that when students move, they often find that that they need additional time and credit in order to reach their their, their degree, their endpoint. And it is the case that many state public systems bring in very large proportions of their class each year as transfers. I would say that the the thing that comes up the most often for me is that I don't want kids to choose to matriculate at a school knowing that they plan to transfer unless unless they're going into a community college or another kind of articulated 2 plus 2 or 3 plus 2 plan. And the reason for that is that often students talk about transfer in that way as a strategy for managing disappointment about the way the process has gone. And what that ends up doing is really preventing students from fully engaging in the life of the community where they're at, which is is really the best way to get a sense of whether or not they're at the right place and, and to move forward in a positive way.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree with you more there. You know, when I worked at Stanford, I would be the one to speak with freshmen who were thinking of leaving us by way of transfer elsewhere. And of course, you got to apply in the winter of whatever year you're considering transferring, say freshman year or sophomore year. Uh, You don't find out if you've gotten in until around June. And so I was always interested in helping my students think through, like, yes, go. If you want to think about transferring out, I will be happy to talk with you about that. I'll be happy to write you a letter of recommendation so you can get where you think might be a better fit. But give this place the full year it deserves. You know, if you're unhappy in December or January, fine, look into other options. But see if you can't also lean into the remainder of your freshman year so that when you've got those transfer results, you're evaluating the school you're at alongside uh, whatever other options you have. All right, uh, we got this question from a mother in Oregon whose daughter is hoping to study visual art in college, and mom is very nervous about this path.
4: So, arts. My daughter wants a career doing something with art. She lives and breathes it, she draws all day. Her dream school is Cal Arts at $45,000 a year and rising just for tuition. And she'd love to be an animator for Pixar. And she understands that this is like trying to be an astronaut. How do you reconcile a low-pay, low-stability career in the arts versus the cost of some of the top art schools? Racking up debt to be a doctor or an engineer is one thing, but an artist? I work for a publisher, and we outsource all our graphic arts to low-paid contractors in Eastern Europe. I understand how little they potentially make. A fallback position is two years at a community college, which will be free in Oregon starting next year, and two years at an in-state public university, but that won't have the kinds of internships and contacts that a top school will. And there really isn't anyone teaching animation to speak of in Oregon. I would love any advice you can give on art majors and careers using art. Josh, in some ways the perennial question,
0: what's your advice? (laughs) I think
1: I, I hear this kind of question often, and yeah. I think that careers in the arts are are in in some ways much maligned yeah. <laughs> and wrongly. Um, you know, in the in the last ten years, job growth in careers in the arts relative to growth in other fields uh, has grown pretty significantly. And while I can't really speak about the likelihood of getting a job at Pixar. Uh, in the same period, there's been about 20% job growth in the field of animation uh, with a robust median salary mm. um, relative to other professions. So I want to start with just kind of resetting some of the assumptions that are that are so often made about uh, where students are destined uh, if they choose to study the arts. <laughs> you know, and then the, the second thing that I, I really want this parent to hear is that The questions that she's asking about expense and I think by implication about debt, she should uncouple those questions from the questions about art and whether or not that's the right question. And I I so often hear this phrase of, you know, my dream school is X and it costs a ridiculous amount. And I just – it's so important to ensure that, you know, when we think about what your dream – is in this admissions process, that it's not simply about where you can get in and can I get into my dream school, but is it the right choice in a much more holistic way that includes questions about affordability? And it's a bad bet to base your tolerance for expense or debt on the predicted income of the job that you'd like when you get out of college. The job market is never going to be the same four years from now your child will rarely be the same. And while we, you know, we know as a baseline that college graduates are much more likely to be employed in their jobs of choice than than, than students without degrees, um, the most important thing is that we, we need to think about affordability and debt tolerance based on family income assets and, and resources. There's just, in my experience in this work, there's way too many students and families that are that are accruing a uh, debt burden that is that is just far too high often more than half of family income and, and that's the <laughs> that's me on my soapbox that's the thing that i think is most crazy and that i'd really want uh i'd want to insert into this family's uh thinking about the next stage of her child's education
0: so play that out a little bit farther so if if she was to apply to calarts and get in not get any aid and be facing 45k a year just for tuition. Tell me what your analysis then is.
1: Um, Well, so, wow, like in Oregon, community college is free. Mm. Um, And I think that there are some, um, there are some real concerns that are important that the parent is articulating here, Mm -hmm. specifically about, you know, whether or not there are opportunities for her daughter to study in the area that she feels the most passionately about, and I think that I would be surprised if that were true, and it, it definitely bears further research. But I think that it's certainly the kind of opportunity that can't be shrugged off. I, I, I often think that that folks think that 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 cost corresponds in a straightforward way to quality. And it doesn't always. It often doesn't, in fact. Um, And so in this case, I'd love for this family to think more about what kinds of opportunities exist in Oregon, uh, in the state university system, and not simply at CalArts, which, uh, of course, is a wonderful place. And my sister-in-law did puppetry there, and and it cost a ton.
0: I'm going to add that what I'm just hearing in the first couple of sentences is that this kid is an artist. and so. I would hope that whatever the plan is, it is about finding the right school environment that's affordable and that allows her to study her art as opposed to trying to dissuade her Mm -hmm. from art and trying to get her to do something more quote-unquote practical. She said she'd love to be an animator for Pixar, and she understands this is a little like trying to be an astronaut, but there are people becoming astronauts, and there are people hired by Pixar every year. You know, I worked with so many students who wished that they could be studying what they actually loved and were good at and were instead focusing on that major that everybody said was the practical one, majors like economics or biology, and uh, particularly artists. And then after them, humanities, uh, folks interested in humanities more broadly, were sort of trying to find the permission within themselves to pursue that which they knew to be their calling you know, it may be that that more practical major has a more practical set of careers with a larger set of openings waiting on the other side of college. But that human being who's in some career because it feels practical is often not feeling terribly fulfilled in life. So I hope that that fact of this kid's love of art is something that the parents and the kid can pay attention to and honor as they make their way through this very complicated process of finding the right finding the right fit. All right. We got this voicemail from Ira, a dad in Washington, D.C. Hi, my name is Ira, and I'm a parent in Washington,
1: D.C. of a high schooler. Uh, my question is, what are the signs uh, to look for um, when my child's high school college counselor isn't doing a good job? And if I see those signs, what can I do about them? Uh, my daughter is only in ninth grade, so there's plenty of time um, in this whole process, but I just wanted to make sure that I could spot something early on and have enough time to uh, do something or have her do something if there is a, uh, you know, a problem and rectify the solution, rectify the situation before it got uh, out of hand. Thank you.
0: Josh, oh, you expert on quality college counseling since you're now going to go inform the mayor of New York City and his people about this. What do you think?
1: Well, I I'm going to answer the question straight up first. Um, which is to say that, you know, good college counselors take time to know their students, um, They're advocates and supporters. They help students identify and access a range of strong college matches where students are admissible, where costs will not present stressors that impact their likelihood of degree attainment, and where students are likely to grow and succeed and develop personally and academically and professionally. Yeah. It's worth pointing out that many schools nationally do not have counselors. I recently saw a paper come out from the National Association of College Admissions Counseling indicating that over 800,000 kids this year in the United States uh, were without the services of a school counselor. Hmm. Many counselors uh, have caseloads of 500 or more students. Um, So so it is important in framing this question to note that many school counselors are are working in the context of some real obstacles. With all uh, due respect to Irai, there, there's for me this is a little bit of a crazy question. Oh, okay. <laughs> Say more. <laughs> I mean, you have to start from the position uh, that your job as a as a parent or guardian is to um, to build a relationship with your child's counselors, teachers. Uh, and educators, uh, as opposed to kind of coming into that relationship seeking to defend yourself against the likelihood of of, of harm. Mm. And my most important answer to this question is that that, that orientation is really the best starting point um, for a parent in ensuring that their counselor can best serve their child.
0: Okay. Well, I appreciate that defense of, of the profession and of the work of you and your colleagues. And, you know, it, it's like if you go into it expecting that the person will be inadequate, you're probably going to create that reality for yourself somehow. Better to go into it focusing on what you can do to help build a strong relationship and connection. I really appreciate that. You know, it's important
1: to note in a a very practical way that certainly for colleges that are more selective, that uh, school counselors are are most often the person who is writing the counselor letter of recommendation, and so it 's really it really is important to invest in that relationship you know I worked in the in the private schools here in new york city for for six years and it wasn 't unusual for parents to have the resources to to look outside their school to find an independent uh, college counselor and I think that the really important piece of advice that i 'd want to give there to this parent is that just just to be sure that that in, in thinking about a move like that or in making a move like that, that, that it, it really is centered on your child and, and focused on the, the needs and concerns of your child. Um, it, it wasn't unusual uh, in my work in the private schools for, for parents to turn to other counselors to kind of get like a second opinion because they didn't like what they heard first. It's not that it doesn't happen that students don't have a positive relationship with their counselor or that a counselor doesn't really know a child as well as, as they ought. It was more often the case that that parents had a more difficult time getting on the same page with their child and their child's counselor about the choices that would be best fits for them.
0: It's a beautiful note to end on. Hey, man, thanks so much for this conversation today and for bringing so very much to this podcast all year.
1: Julie, thank you.
0: You've done and continue to do really life-changing work with New York City students, and I truly wish you the best with your new position.
1: Thank you so, so much.
0: I also want to thank our other experts, Amy Young, Park Muth, Steve LeMénagé, and the five kids who let us follow them this year. And you guys are amazing listeners. That's it for this podcast. We are especially grateful to you, you who sent us so many good questions and comments. They really ended up shaping each episode, and we're especially sorry we didn't have time to answer them all. If you want to go back and listen to any of our episodes, our archives will always be available at slate.com slash getting in. Getting In is a production of Slate and Panoply Media. Michelle Siegel has been our amazing producer. Our amazing senior producer is Kristen Meinzer. Laura Mayer is our wonderful executive producer. We've also had outstanding help from Stanford Video, Rob Huffman, Ryan Roberts have been our audio engineers out here in California. And Panoply's chief content officer is Andy Bowers. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Julie lifcott And please remember, it's not just about getting in someplace. It's about finding the right fit.